my Govanin. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel and the Tolkien Geek. And in this video, I'm going to be continuing my series on scenes from Tolkien that we may or may want to adapt into a visual medium. But this one's going to be a little bit different because this one is about scenes that there's no problem inherently with adapting them, but they are either mature or very uncomfortable in some way, you know, in, in the sense that younger audiences may not be ready for them and some people just may not want to watch them in general because they're just well we'll get to it before we get to that though there's a couple of things i want to mention real quick one since next week if you're watching this the day that i release it next week the monday is actually christmas i'm going to take that week off there will not be a video releasing on christmas day I'm not going to do that because uh, probably nobody watches it on christmas day anyway so I'm taking a week off from this, and my next video will be, I might do on New Year's Day, I might not, I'll see how it goes, but at least Christmas Day is, that's a lot busier and harder to get things done around that time anyhow. It's going to be a busy weekend, and nobody's going to watch it. And New Year's Day I may skip as well, just because nobody's going to be awake. <laughs> the other thing to mention is I have a special offer for all of you, and this is not a sponsored thing or anything like that, but uh, somebody in the Tolkien Discord community that I'm involved in uh, shared this with us. We got a calendar of a bunch of different scenes from Tolkien, and this is just, you know, like a sample. It, it flips upside down, so you have to kind of... Uh, and that's just a quick sample of what it looks like inside, but you can get that calendar for 5% off with the uh, discount code TolkienLorePod, all one word. I will link to the website where you can order the calendar yourself in the description. So if you're interested in doing that, check the description and remember, and I'll also put the uh, discount code in there as well. But it's TolkienLorePod and go get yourself a nice Tolkien calendar. The artwork is pretty good actually. So uh, those are the two things I wanted to get out of the way. Now let's get to the meat of the video. Alright, so the first one to discuss here is nudity in Tolkien. And this rarely happens. Uh, it happens a couple times in The Lord of the Rings. And it's easy to kind of just breeze by them. Uh, the first time it happens after Bombadil rescues the hobbits from the Barrow Whites. And he tells them to strip off the clothes that the Barrow Whites put on them. And their clothes are gone slash not really something you want to touch again. Uh, so he basically says, just strip yourselves, run free on the grass, I'll get your ponies and you'll get your you know extra clothes back. And this is the most innocent of all of the scenes involving nudity in Tolkien. The second one is when Frodo is held prisoner in the Tower of Kirith Ungol and he is stripped and as part of a search, which amps up the level of you know, maturity a bit because it's associated with things besides just, you know, the native innocence of a human being with no real connections to civilization. So there's a difference there for sure. And it's, you know, you also have to imagine that at this point he may well have been tortured in some way, though we never get any details on that. So there may be even marks on his body that indicate things that have happened to him. Or it may be that he's just been searched because the orcs actually followed their orders and didn't, you know, do anything more than they were supposed to. Uh, but at any rate, it, it's still a more mature thing than what happens with the Four Hobbits because there it's just kind of returning almost to a Edenic state of 
just innocent human nature. Like, it's just different. The third example, and of course this is the one that most people will remember when they think about this topic, is of course Neonor, who later becomes known as Niniel. And hers is kind of a weird mix of innocence and not innocence, uh, because when she strips herself, it's in the process of running from a bunch of orcs, and it's kind of like getting rid of stuff that's encumbering her as she's running through, you know, branches and vines, whatever. And then she wakes up, and she is in, like, a really innocent, naive state, because it's like she has no memory, she's almost an animal, because she has no language, she just... Her state at that point is very, very uh, not naive in the most literal sense. Like, she knows nothing. And so, in that sense, she's, in some ways, the most innocent of all these examples. But the thing that makes it less innocent is, A, where she came from. Like, we know the source of all this is Glaurung, and there's a certain... Her mental derangement caused by him is what leads to all this, and there's a sense of, that's, you know, it's it's Glaurung's fault that all this happened. It's not just something that just happens. And then, to top it all off, when she's found, again, still naked, it's by Turin and his, you know, crowd, and he ends up marrying her, and knowing that, going into it, just creates a whole different... <laughs> there's, there's... Uh, there's, yeah, there's things that just really take that over the edge there. So, you know, I've, I've said before that The Children of Hurin is the story that, of all the stories in Tolkien, I would most like to see adapted, because I think, dramatically, it's the easiest, in a lot of ways, to put to film. And I think you could do the Neonor scenes in a tasteful way that doesn't really hammer any of that home, Nevertheless, that stuff is there, and it's it makes it uncomfortable as well as, you know, kind of mature audiences only. You could make it fit like a PG-13 probably by really being careful of what you actually show, but it's, mm, you know what's there and you know what's happening and anybody who knows Tolkien knows what's going to happen and, yeah, it makes it kind of mature. Sticking with Neonor, of course, we have the double suicide of Neonor and Turin. And this is one of those where the the scene itself is one that a lot of people just are not going to handle watching because a lot of people have that trauma in their family. They have, you know, their own struggles with depression and maybe suicidal ideation. There's really serious stuff going on with a lot of people that makes that scene something that people are not going to want to watch, and for good reason. I mean, and the other thing is, this, on a side note, by the way, I had somebody recently comment on one of my videos saying, you know, we shouldn't be making movies about scenes that glorify suicide, and I'm like, Tolkien is not glorifying suicide here. He's not saying suicide is the easy way out and we should just be willing to take it. He's a Catholic, for goodness sake. Tolkien is not promoting suicide in any way, shape, or form. What he is doing is showing that humanity is flawed. Like, that's Turin's real role in the Silmarillion. It's to show that even a human with, you know, the 
all the blessings that can be given almost. You know, he's raised by elves and given the wisdom that they have, and he's tall and he's strong and he's extremely skilled in combat. All these things. Like, in some ways, Turin is the greatest of all men in his age. And yet, he falls so low into despair that he kills himself. And it's mostly because of his own bad decisions. And this is the role that Turin plays. He's the guy who is given practically everything, but he's missing some really important stuff too, like his mother. And all of his life leads to this point where he finally just realizes, I can't escape and I just am not willing to go through with it anymore. And then Neonor, of course, her suicide is a little bit of a different story because, I mean, a lot of it is she realizes what she's done, realizes that she's been married to her brother and is carrying his child. I mean, this is really deep stuff here, but the ultimate point is, this is not Tolkien glorifying suicide. He's showing us humans are fallen. We are flawed. We are, you know, susceptible to despair and, you know, really bad things in your life can drive you to that point and whether you succumb to that is you know up to you in the end but the point being it's something that a lot of people would want to do in circumstances like Turin's like you realize your entire life has been cursed and it's largely your own fault and you have hurt everybody around you Turin at that point is I think at the stage of I did it all and I'm not going to do it anymore and, and I think that's really what's going on. But that's part of what makes the scene so mature, is that you have to encapsulate all that stuff. You know, all of his life, where he's made all these bad decisions, all these bad decisions, and all the ways that he's hurt people around him, and all this stuff, and that is kind of summed up in his reason for committing suicide. And Neonor's suicide is even more tragic in some ways because she hasn't done really all that much wrong in her life, but the sudden realization of what she's done in her ignorance and everything else, and even realizing some of Turin's own past, just breaks her. Like, I don't know that she went in actually insane, but she just couldn't handle it. And you know, the double tragedy of killing not only herself, but the child in her womb. Ugh. I, there's just so much heavy stuff going on with both of these suicides. But for that reason, a lot of people aren't going to want to watch it. But again, I really don't think Tolkien is glorifying suicide in any way. It's just really heavy, mature material. The whole story of Turin is, but this particularly, that tops the list. Another scene that gets really really uncomfortable and kind of mature in a really, you know, like movie mature type of way, but not explicitly, is the scene where Luthien is dancing and singing to Morgoth and puts him to sleep. And the reason for that, for those of you who have read the story, Morgoth, as he's watching her, starts to have thoughts. And if you don't know what those thoughts are, I'm not going to describe them to you, but you can probably guess what I'm talking about here. Now, of course, in a visual adaptation, that's not necessarily going to be something that pops up on the screen, or you're not necessarily going to get a voiceover from Morgoth's inner voice, you know, speaking his own thoughts, but 
to fully make that scene, you know, punch the way it punches in the written version, you would have to do something along those lines because otherwise it loses a lot of the the real force, I think, because Morgoth letting his mind go in that direction tends to make the other things going on in that scene all the more powerful because Luthien is not just in danger of being killed or captive. It goes further than that, and that is the kind of risk she has taken on, probably knowingly. So you kind of have to have that for it to have as much punch as it really should have because that shows the the lengths to which Luthien is willing to go and what she is putting herself in danger of. And so, again, like, it's not something you would have to do, but to really do the scene justice, you would kind of have to go there. And so, whatever way you do it, that's going to make the scene significantly more uncomfortable to watch, especially for some people. And... You know, in some ways, it's the most uncomfortable ever because Baron and Luthien's love story is like the purest thing ever, and then you get this moment of like absolutely mm, Morgoth's mind is not a good place to be. So we'll just leave it there. My final pick here for most mature and uncomfortable scenes in Tolkien is actually, in some ways, less mature and less of a like PG type. PG-13 to R rating issue than the rest of them. But it's still a very heavy, mature type of thing. And this is the final meeting between Aldarion and Erendis. And, you know, the, the whole story leading up to it is important to this, of course, but their final meeting where they have this conversation where both of them basically come to the decision, well, Erendis has already decided, but Aldarion realizes, I'm basically not married anymore, and my child is being raised by a woman who hates me. <laughs> uh, all of that scene is extremely hard, and as, you know, for anybody with divorced parents or who has gone through a divorce, this would be a really rough scene to go through, and what makes it harder is you could see both sides of the argument, right? I mean, like, Aldarion... He's doing things in Middle-earth that are, in many ways, very important. He is helping Gil-galad. He is helping, you know, fight against the, you know, the danger that is Sauron, which is not explicit and overt yet, but nevertheless still a thing. Whereas Erendis is like, where is my husband all the time? He's always gone, and I'm not going to live as long as he is, and I, you know, I need him here. So there, there's legitimate points on both sides, and Aldarian can also plead the excuse of, hey, the weather held me back, this, you know. But at the end of the day, regardless of who's right or wrong, we reach this point where Erendis just is absolutely resolute in rejecting anything Aldarian can do or say and decides to raise her child basically not even knowing what a male is. Like, she never met a boy hardly until she was, I forget the age she was when she meets the little shepherd boy. But, like, raising her only with women and the depths that Erendis has gotten to in her hatred of Aldarion 
and how she expresses that in their last meeting and how Aldarian is, you know, he just accepts all this kind of with resignation in some ways. And you can tell, if you're a guy you who's ever had any difficulties with relationships or anything like that, you probably have a better grasp on what's going on in Aldarian's mind than probably a lot of women would. And I know that's stereotyping, but men and women, as a rule, tend to handle these things differently. And a lot of guys, I think, who have gone through something like this with any kind of really strained relationship, they're going to understand that what Aldarian says on the surface hides a lot of stuff that's going on beneath that. One one thing that a lot of men will do when faced with a situation like this is they will bury their emotions so as not to let them explode. And I think that's what's going through Aldarian's mind. He is at a point where he has basically two options. He can, you know, completely go on the offense and do, you know, just everything against Arendis he can, or he can just grin and bear it. Uh, that's because anything in between is just not going to work. He's either going to take it, or if he lets loose at all, it's going to be all the way. And he chooses, you know, the not let loose option. That's my read on it anyway. So, I mean, you could take your own interpretation of that, but the point being, ultimately, this conversation and both of their independent thoughts before and after, all that scene combined is just a really stressful read, especially for anybody who has had that kind of a relationship problem ever. Uh, and, you know, if you're an adult of any age, you probably have. But some have had it worse than others. And anybody who's had a really traumatic experience with that would have a really hard time watching what was this really cute love story at the beginning just degrade into bitter hatred. It's just... Mm. So that's... Even though it's not, strictly speaking, something that would make it unwatchable by a younger audience, a younger audience isn't going to get it, and they don't necessarily need to be introduced to something like that in a movie anyway. Uh, that's my opinion, anyhow. But those are my four scenes that I think are probably the most, well, four. I kind of lumped, you know, two scenes from Lord of the Rings and one from Neonor all together. But those are kind of the scenes that I had in mind as far as things that are mature or uncomfortable or things that, you know, they're scenes that could easily be put into a visual medium, but for some viewers, it will be a problem. So if you have any other scenes or you want to talk about any of these, you may not because they're uncomfortable, and that's fine. Uh, but if you do have any comments, you know, feel free to leave them in the comments section. Try to keep it, um, I guess, as kind as possible <laughs> for, for anybody who uh, might have triggered issues with some of this stuff. Um, it, it's a risky topic for me to be even doing a video on, but I think some of these are worth thinking about because it, it, part of the reason for doing this video is because so many people think of Tolkien as like this sugar-coated fantasy where everything nice happens and nobody ever really suffers anything. No. That's just not true. <laughs> even in Lord of the Rings, that's not true for many reasons. But this is the kind of stuff that Tolkien would write about. Now, it probably was more comfortable writing about it earlier in his career than later, but at any rate, he's 
not shying away from really dark, deep stuff. So again, leave your comments below if you're interested. Like and share the video if uh, you think anybody would be interested in watching this. Don't send it to anybody who's got real problems that might be offended. Uh, please. <laughs> uh, and, you know, all the usual the links below. Don't forget the calendar link. Uh, check out that if you're interested in that calendar. And until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namarie. Thanks to all my channel supporters, especially Elf Friends Paul Leone, Nathan Dufour, and Robert Kindling.